Hello, evolutionaries, and welcome to the For the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Laura Hall. Laura is a global retail executive with a strong creative bent, bringing over 30 years of experience to the business of fashion retail consumer goods. Considered a collaborative co-conspirator by her peers, Laura has steered legacy fashion brands as well as building emerging high potential brands. Laura left her last corporate role as president of accessories for Polo Ralph Lauren in order to advise other global consumer goods companies. Having sat in the seat and been through most of the same challenges and opportunities, Laura brings a unique combination of experience, perspective, and purpose-driven business thinking to a 21st century retail world that must operate with different values. Laura is a respected female voice for socially responsible business practices that resonate with today's millennials and Gen Z consumers. In 2018, Laura, along with two other female C-suite business leaders, founded Wise Partners in New York City, and that's W-H-Y-Z. Wise is a different kind of consumer goods consultancy, offering real-world and real-time expertise in merchandising, manufacturing, marketing, unified commerce, and sustainability. A primary mission at Wise is to partner with our clients to empower the next generation of retail executives to create an ecosystem of extraordinary businesses and business leaders under the purpose of promoting the ideals of financially and socially responsible business practices. So we'll certainly have a lot to talk about there, but also most recently, as a founding author for Conscious Capitalism Press, Laura has launched a children's book titled The ABCs of Conscious Capitalism for Kids, which I had the pleasure of reading. Can't wait to share with my nieces and nephews. Uh, it's all about creating a business, making money, and changing the world. Thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. I am delighted to be here, Andrew. <laughs> so... I, like I mentioned, I had the chance to read this and I'm really looking forward to share it. I'm hoping many of our listeners uh, and others in the conscious capitalism community are excited to share it too. But one of the things uh, that you mentioned when we were talking earlier was that children are stakeholders too, because you know, you have had so much experience uh, in the business world. I know you do a lot of consulting work, um, but at the same time, you decided that the most important way for you to contribute when you wanted to write this book for the world was to, to talk with children. So tell us a little bit about why you think children are stakeholders too and why other people should pay attention to that as well. What an awesome question. <laughs> ah, well, uh, as I said uh, to you yesterday when we were last talking, uh, I do actually really believe that children are stakeholders and that we in business should think of them that way, whether they are potential new uh, customers, they're in your community, they are your future employees. So there are a lot of reasons that I think we need to include children in that stakeholder uh, culture and one of the pillars of conscious capitalism, which is that we absolutely believe all stakeholders are important. I believe children should be considered stakeholders for lots of different reasons. I wrote this book, The ABCs of Conscious Capitalism for Kids, I'm shamelessly promoting it because I think it's good for all of us right now, especially uh, because we have so many kids at home and a lot of parents at home spending more time with their children than they probably thought they would be. So for that reason and other reasons, I think this book is pretty important right now. And it's turned out to be a different kind of book with a different audience and a different uh, conversation than I thought when I wrote the book. I wrote the book because in addition to being a businesswoman, or you could say I'm a business person who is a woman or a woman who's a business leader, but I am also a wife 
and a mother, and I am a grandmother. I wrote the ABCs of Conscious Capitalism for Kids as both a labor and a legacy of love for my grandchildren. I have three grandchildren. For them, for my nieces and nephews, and I have plenty of them, and for their friends, and for their schoolmates. Uh, I believe children are changing the world. I believe they can change the world. I believe they're going to lead the next stage of our evolution. And so I think it's very important and it behooves all of us in the business community to think about them more and more. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And, and one of the things uh, that you mentioned when we were, when we were chatting earlier was that uh, you, you mentioned a Frederick Douglass quote, which uh, is, as I mentioned, is, is close to my heart here in Rochester, New York. Uh, they're actually talking over the past few days about renaming our airport after Frederick Douglass because he is a, he spent a lot of time here in Rochester. And you, and you said that it is, is it, you quoted him, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And, and, and I think that that is, is such an important thing because one of the things, quite honestly, as I was reading through this book was thinking how much some of the, how, many, how much these principles make sense to, to a young person. I, you know, I would think talking about being, being fair, um, talking about you know trying to be trying to be equitable, talking about treating everyone with respect and, and, and dignity, and, and some of these some of these things that I think we try to teach our kids, and then for whatever reason we forget somewhere along the way. So um, it, has that been your experience? What was what was your own experience? Um, you know, growing up, did you have did you have a lot to unlearn, or were you always this this conscious capitalist? <laughs> well. I grew up in the South. I grew up in the Southern part of the United States. And uh, for me, I have good memories as a child and some not so good memories. Uh, as a child, growing up in the South, I saw some things and I heard some things that I don't believe children should have to see or hear. And that is quite honestly another reason for why I believe it is so important for how we use our voice and how we educate and introduce our children to many concepts in business and in life. Um, I have tried throughout my career to really <clears throat> build companies that are mission driven, that treat people well, that uh, treat the planet well. But I think like Frederick Douglass said, and you have touched my heart by mentioning that because Frederick Douglass for me is a hero. And I think right now, given what's going on in our world, it's even more important to remember what he said because we must, we must, we have a moral obligation as well as a business obligation to start thinking about building strong children so that we don't have to think about the flip side of that, which is what we are dealing with right now. Building a more socially just society and uh, business co uh, construct, and that's conscious capitalism, is important for that reason. So you've touched my heart when you talk about Frederick Douglass. Uh, you're right that I was affected by what I saw as a child. I think many of us are because <laughs> before we were all business leaders and we were all great, you know, business tycoons, we were all children. And I think many of us have memories of that, which made a difference, you know, uh, certainly affected us on our road to where we are today. 
I remember you telling me, Andrew, that uh, you were influenced by your father when you were seven years old. I think many of us have memories of our childhood that affect where we are today. So we, you know, if we didn't know it before, <laughs> right now, now is the time for us to start thinking about these young humans and what we do and what we say and how we build their lives. Yeah, yeah, I was telling you that story and, and some of the listeners may have heard it, but, but just briefly, uh, you know, my dad left a, a corporate job, fairly, fairly comfortable job. Uh, to to go off and, and do do his own thing and, and you know start a consulting company and and so it was it was interesting because you know he was taking a big risk and I always joke I have no idea how he explained himself to to my mother uh, but the way that he described it to me for uh, to the seven year old at the time was there were certain things I liked about my job and certain things that I didn't and I want to do more of the things that I liked and and that's just a you know to to a seven year old that made all the sense in the world and and again that's so so many of the the learnings I had as I was as I was reading through your book is. These are so many of the things that we teach young children about, about how we want them to, uh, you know, what's right and wrong and, and, and how we want them to behave. And then for a, a variety of reasons, we do see, um, you know, I, I've seen studies where, where many young people go into business school and they, they maybe want to be social entrepreneurs or they want to have some kind of social purpose mission. Um, and, and oftentimes, sadly, they, they get thrown into their you know, maybe Econ 101 class or their, their finance class, and they, and they get some of that uh, beaten out of them a little bit. And so, uh, you know, we're really trying, and you know, I've, I've seen not only the great work that you're doing, uh, you know, with, with very young people, but I've seen some colleges and universities start to embrace more, more conscious capitalism, which is exciting to see. But one of the things that, that uh, you know, occurred to me as I, was, as I was reading through this book because it is, it's called the ABCs of Conscious Capitalism for Kids. And it goes through ABC all the way through Z of, of different principles of, of conscious capitalism. And one of the things that you do mention that you kind of alluded to was around the, the D is for diversity and inclusion. And, and one of the things that I heard relatively recently that I thought was really powerful, um, you know, was that learning about some of these, these, you know, racial disparities in our, in our country and, and in many of our companies. Um, it's really a privilege to learn about it rather than to have to experience it. You know, I'm, I'm a, a, a white male who in, in a lot of ways um, learned about this more, more from, from friends or from reading than having to experience it. And, and so I think there's a lot of people who might be struggling with how to have some of those conversations, especially for young people who, you know, may catch the news or see things that are going on in our world. Have you tried broaching any of those topics with your children or grandchildren over the years? What are some kinds of ways that, that we can start to talk with our, with our young people about diversity and inclusion in general, but also in, in terms of being, uh, you know, the future conscious capitalists that our world needs? Great question. Um, yes, <laughs> I believe that uh, we have to start. And you know, the best way to start, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, uh, and those are generally the two uh, family uh, groups that spend a lot of time with children. Children are naturally inquisitive. They are naturally uh, open. Uh, one of the things that, that I think we all now know, neuroscience is showing us that the first six years of a human being's life shapes so much 
of what happens to them later. So childcare, ch ch uh, education for children, how we interact and act with them is so important. As a parent or a grandparent, and I, <laughs> I spent the last few months talking to a lot of different uh, sectors uh, there within the conscious capitalism community, local chapters, and some of my business clients who actually are thinking about what they can do uh, to care more for their uh, employees who have children. What I can say to everyone is just to talk, just to start the conversation. And children are likely to be the ones asking you these questions or asking you about what's going on. So a few uh, months ago, right at the beginning of this, I did something I shared with some of the community called the FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions that Children Are Asking. I'm happy to share that with your community too. And it actually turned into one of those wonderful things that's becoming organic and morphing into a bigger thing than I thought. So you know what? When your children ask you questions, and I will insert another shameless plug for the book, having the book <laughs> is a great way for you to have a resource that hopefully can give you some ideas or activities. This book uh, is the ABCs. It, it's got 26 bite-sized chapters. And within every one of them is an activity uh, for your kids or something to think about or something for them to do. And you know what? Right now, while they're at home and they're seeing you, a lot of you, a lot of probably the listeners on this podcast working from home, it, it's creating a very natural, organic way to talk to them about capitalism and business because they're seeing you, their parent, doing it. Yeah, I love that. And, and, and I did want to make sure to mention that to our listeners because there are um, some are some are coloring activities. Some are, you know, spotting out the, the conscious and the, and the less conscious practices. Some are some brainstorming of, you know, different businesses and things like that. So really being able to, to make this a, an activity book, um, I, was, I was happy to, to get a hard copy so that I can, uh, I can share it and, and have those activities to, to share with my nieces and nephews. But they also each, many of them, uh, start with a quote. So, for example, the equality and equity for, for E. Um, and, and you have a quote that says, fairness does not mean everyone gets the same. Fairness means everyone gets what they need. Um, and, and, you know, again, I think that those are so aligned with some of the things that we try to teach our kids, uh, you know, for, from a very young age. And then to now have a conversation with them about, well, what does that look like in business uh, can be a really powerful conversation that I think many of us, uh, you know, just haven't had with our kids in the past. And, and I think that as we are trying to, uh, you know, build those, build those stronger children, uh, build those conscious children for, for our future, I think those conversations are necessary. And, and to your point, I think it's really important that we also uh, recognize that these, the, the kids are going to be asking questions. They're curious. They want to learn. And, and you know, we, we should, um, hopefully, rather than you know, sometimes they, they ask too many questions, but as often, <laughs> as, often as we can, you know, the, the more that we can, that we can encourage that curiosity and, you know, maybe, maybe ask them some questions and get that, that them to reflect on some of these things is really powerful. So, you know, as, as you're thinking about 
um, you know, writing this book and some of the activities. Was there an age range that you were that you were aiming for? Are are you trying to be? I think many of them, uh, you know, many of the activities and things are as as inclusive as possible. But but what kinds of ages for for those listeners that might have kids of their own should they be targeting? Initially, I targeted middle school, and I would say the sweet spot uh, is seven to twelve uh, kids who age seven to twelve. However, on either side of that, depending on where you are and how much your children are already involved in maybe what you're doing or in the world where they live, uh, you can stretch that. I also think it's really, uh, <laughs> it's really true. Children ask amazing questions. And actually right now, some of the best things that I've learned about kids and business have come on some of the Zoom calls. And I imagine there are many of your listeners on podcasts who have either had their children deliberately or maybe inadvertently participate in a Zoom call. And you know what? I think it's wonderful. They're getting a lot of things uh, and hearing about a lot of things they wouldn't. Uh, about that questions, Q in the book stands for questions. And my quote there is, he who asks a question remains a fool for five minutes. He who does not ask, remains a fool forever. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Chinese proverbs. And I know that sometimes it gets to be exasperating because kids ask so many questions, but it's the way they learn. And if you can introduce them to one of the activities in the book, you begin to get them to think differently and they don't ask you as many questions, they start doing it. And what's even better we're finding, I have uh, a niece, and she's got two uh, little boys and one little girl. They together have done the most amazing things recently with the book. They're not talking about how they're going to do something in their class and sell things for some to help other kids or to help feed kids in their neighborhood. It is amazing what children think of and what they do when you allow them the freedom and the opportunity to do that. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, many of us uh, have, have had opportunities in, in our own past, maybe to maybe to have that lemonade stand or, or whatever, whatever, you know, mowing a lawn or babysitting some of those some of those jobs that young people sometimes sometimes can can try to pick up. And, and when they do start to think about, well, you know, how am I not only, uh, you know, hopefully giving good service and, you know, doing the best that I can and all of those things, but how can I have a positive impact? on my community? How can I go above and beyond to be that conscious capitalist? Um, you know, they, they are endlessly creative. In fact, you know, I, I had the kind of offbeat idea as we were talking the other day, uh, you know, thinking about, gosh, there, there are so many kids because they're not afraid, as you mentioned in that quote, they're not afraid to ask that question and look silly. Uh, they come up with the most creative ideas and and you know we, we should be hiring them as consultants because they they have so many ideas that we're afraid to mention in that brainstorming session because we don't want to look silly. So you know, really harnessing that creativity, really harnessing that that inquisitiveness, uh, and and nurturing it rather than tamping it down, I think is uh, is a great great service that that you're you're really really encouraging through this book and, and one of the things that that really excited me. Well. You know what? The other thing, the thing that I think we're all beginning to realize is kids 
are actually, like you said, they're extremely creative. And I pointed out some examples in, in the book that just blew me away. The K <laughs> in the book stands for kid power. And I call them kidpreneurs because we have young people, kids in this country who have already created businesses. Uh, a young woman, Michaela Ulmer, who became CEO of her own company, Me and the Bees Lemonade, at the ripe old age of 13. Okay, she did this. Her lemonade is sold in, in Whole Foods stores and other stores. So, you know, what they are able to do and showing us they can do and are doing is amazing. So the tagline of the book is, you mentioned it, create a business, make money, change the world. You know what? Kids can do all of that. And they are coming up with amazing ideas. And while you have them at home, while you're working for home, I love your idea, Andrew. They can be your, they're now going to be on your advisory board, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great point. Yeah. And, you know, not only, not only having them, you know, maybe learning and hearing some things on the Zoom call, but, you know, I just think that all those Zoom calls and the, the kid maybe jumping up on your lap, or for me, sometimes it's my dog jumping up on my lap. You know, I think it, I think it really, uh, it humanizes us to each other. You know, some of the things that sometimes we are, are we, we feel the pressure to check our emotions at the door um, and, and, you know, not, not really embracing or, or, or feeling like we're able to embrace our, our full humanness uh, inside our organizations. And, and so I, I hope anyways, that we can hang on to a little bit of that, even though I, I will definitely look forward to the day that we can do in-person meetings and, and, you know, presentations and all those sorts of things. I do hope we hang on to a little bit of that, of that humanness of, of seeing people in a different light. That's true. I would have to say that one of the surprises for me, okay, when I wrote the book, I had no idea what was going to happen only a few months later. None of us did. Uh, none of us could envision what has happened in the past few months and where we are today. You know what? But now, now is the time for us to embrace our humanity and figure out how we make it work. One of the things that I will tell you has been in my neighborhood, I live in California, and I'm sure that other neighborhoods, uh, perhaps some of your listeners on the podcast have seen this too because it's gone national. Uh, right after the <clears throat> global pandemic started and we were in lockdown, children, a lot of uh, homes in our neighborhood decided to put teddy bears in the window and they did it so that children who were out exercising or walking with their parents, they went on something like a scavenger hunt and all of us tried to put a, a teddy bear or a group of teddy bears in our window so they could be walking along with their parents and see them. And you know, I am now actually working on doing some uh, conscious capitalism local chapter events where we use a teddy bear as the avatar because I know we're all looking forward to the day that we can reach out and hug each other really. But right now we use the teddy bear and we hug the teddy bear sometimes when we're having these conversations and these uh, meetings and events. And children just naturally, you know, they, they love it and they start talking to the teddy bear and it's really fun. It's like we heard, I, I, I come from a generation who uh, had uh, a television show kids say the darndest things. Well, 
Let me just tell you that right now, talking to their teddy bears all over America, they're saying amazing things. <laughs> and so it behooves us all to listen. Because like I keep saying, they're really stakeholders too. <laughs> yeah, you know, not not only are they, they the stakeholders in terms of, you know, you were mentioning, sometimes they are influencing the, the buying decisions that, that parents are making. Um, sometimes they're even the current customer, customer themselves or a future customer. Um, sometimes they're just a future employee. You know, what, what kinds of businesses, more and more young people, they want to work for businesses that are, are purpose-driven, that make them feel like they are having a positive contribution in the world. And, and they're really looking for that and they're demanding it. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a nice to have anymore. It's, it's really something that, that they're looking for. And so as you're, as you're building your brand, I think more and more organizations really need to pay attention to that because I, I only see that trend accelerating. I could not agree with you more. Absolutely. I come from the fashion industry, consumer retail, uh, <clears throat> beauty, fashion, uh, accessories. So that's the world I've spent 35 years in. We used to say, we used to tell the customer and the consumer what to buy. Let me just tell, if you haven't realized it out there in the world of business, the world has changed. The consumer tells us what they want, what they want to buy, where they like for they are more and more yes, companies who are doing good uh, to be the companies that they buy from. So it has never been more important for us to listen to these young children who are quickly going to become young consumers. Well, I wanted to spend at least a little bit of our time together, um, you know, talking about because in addition to now being the uh, the, the teacher and the guide for, for so many uh, young people who are hopefully on this journey to conscious capitalism. You also do a, a, a lot of work with wise partners. And, and one, of the, one of the quotes that you have there, uh, kind of a tagline is, we are what we see, we are what we hear, we are what we feel, and we are what we buy and don't buy. And so I'd be really curious, um, you know, from your perspective and in, in, in with wise partners and maybe some of the clients that you work with, what does it look like? How do you start to get them on this journey, um, you know, of, of conscious capitalism? Are, are more and more organizations, are they, are they recognizing the need for it or do they still need to be convinced sometimes? <laughs> Very good question. We have... Um, a very, I would say, ecumenical portfolio. Uh, we take clients uh, who are at different stages of their uh, trajectory in business and in growth and in, um, and, and in strategy building. We try very much to focus on mission-driven businesses where we can or companies with leaders who say they want to become more mission-driven. It is a journey. You know, we, uh, we like to say at Wise Partners, something that uh, somebody that we love, Eileen Fisher. Eileen Fisher is one of the most amazing uh, conscious capitalists that I know. She provides a quote in the book. And Eileen said, you know, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. And I think that's really what we try to do with our clients is to get them to realize that we, we work with different uh, clients at different levels of their maturity. Uh, we don't work with startups, but we work with brands <clears throat> that are really figuring out how they can achieve uh, that intersection of purpose, their, their why, 
with profit. Uh, we always like to say, you know, you can't be a conscious capitalist and you can't deliver that triple bottom line, which is profit, people, planet, until you have the profit part. So I'm an unabashed capitalist in that regard. But I think there is a way to do that. And that's what we help our clients do, hopefully. We go through some proprietary uh, exercises with them that we are um, good at. We, we believe that everybody who wants to, who is on that journey, knowing that it's about progress, not perfection, uh, can achieve success. And right now, even now, we have taken on two new clients and where we're working with them is even more at the intersection of purpose and profit. And what they're realizing is kind of what we talked about a few moments ago. Our clients right now are, are really trying to find out how they can get connected to and communicate with their customers better. And we really believe it's very important to go after the customers that you want or the consumers and how to convert them to customers. Now more than ever, young people and, and even people that you, that you may not have thought <laughs> were, were thinking about becoming conscious or mission-driven are doing it because we're sitting at a really unprecedented moment now for business. And we now realize that some of the things we thought, some of the safety nets we thought uh, we would have uh, if business uh, reached uh, a kind of uh, crisis like it is now, those are not there. So it is more important for businesses to become more conscious. And I must say that it's very much true that it's also more important for all of us to act as a community and to share and to, and to build it together. Uh, one of the other things that I say is, it, you know, in order to build strong children, it takes a community. And now it takes a global community. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking now about, you, you mentioned Eileen Fisher, you know, one of the, one of the companies that, that Raj mentions in his latest book, The Healing Organization. Uh, you also have a quote in the book from Rose Marcario, who's the, the CEO of Patagonia. You know, and, and she talks a lot about how caring for our planet is not in conflict with run, running a successful business. That's what you have on your, on your G chapter for, for Go Green. Um, so what is, in, in your experience with, with clients or in the industry more generally, I know that, you know, fashion and retail and especially, you know, those that are, you know, fast fashion has become a thing uh, where, where more and more people are, are buying, buying things that aren't, aren't even intended to last very long. What is the, what is the intersection in, in your experience with, the, with sustainability in the, in the fashion industry? A very, very timely and relevant question, and one that my partners and I spend some time on. Uh, we, again, we try to work with our clients, and, and as industry thought leaders and influencers, we are trying to show them how companies can, you know, change whatever they're doing to become more sustainable. Again, it is a journey. Some of them are further along. Uh, than others, but I will tell you that the fast fashion industry is even waking up and realizing they cannot, they cannot continue that, you know, we, the consumer, are voting. Uh, we have some of our clients uh, who are either on the journey or, or becoming a B Corp. 
Uh, I talk about in uh, the book uh, under R, R is for related ideas and other organizations and groups that we think are like-minded and kindred spirits to conscious capitalism. And one of them is B-Lab B Corp. And I would say that one of the things that we are realizing that fast fashion is doing is it, it, it is hurting everyone. And we are trying very much, especially when we start talking about children and educating them, is changing that view. That you know it's better to have one thing that lasts a long time and that's really good than to have a lot of different things because we just cannot. We are running out of places to put all of this stuff. So I am personally involved in, in working on supply chain in the fast fashion industry and that is something that needs to be done and again i believe we're making progress but we have a long way to go but i i will interject here it's never been more important for customers to vote i am a big believer in voting with your pocketbook absolutely as am i i think i think that's so important and something uh you know hopefully anyways as as more and more companies and, and you know we were talking about patagonia earlier patagonia is a wonderful example not only of that, that transparency, you know, you can basically go track where all their different things are made and the carbon footprint of everything that, that they were, uh, that, that they produce and that you buy and you can, you can, you know, get it, get an idea of that. And first of all, when you publish that now, it, it creates an incentive for the organization to, uh, you know, to try to improve some of those metrics. So I think being able to, being able to measure it and being open about sharing it is becomes really important. And, and I hope, too, that not only are our customers, um, you know, trying to, to vote with their dollars and in terms of where they're where they're buying, but but also demanding that more and more organizations release those kinds of metrics, uh, you know, so that they can get a, a more transparent picture of, of, of where their where their things are coming from, uh, you know, how the workers are treated, whether or not it's, you know, sustainable or recycled material, all those sorts of things, because you know, I grew up in a generation where one of one of my early memories of kind of unconscious capitalism uh, or, you know, crony capitalism, whatever you want to call it, was where, uh, you know, Nike got got kind of exposed for having having sweatshops in developing countries and not treating their workers very well. And here was a company whose whose brand, you know, that the marketing that they espoused was really all around how are we, uh, you know, we're excellence and in high performance and everything, but they, they weren't living it in every aspect of their business. And I think that the transparency that we create inside of, or, you know, inside of organizations and outside, both because everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket where they can you know, uh, both, both take videos and also tweet about good and bad experiences. More and more, your customers, your stakeholders, they are controlling the, the narrative as much as you are you know, with, with whatever commercials you're putting out there. And so you really need to, you really need to live that purpose that you're espousing. It's, it's just so important. And I, and I only see that increasing. I agree. And children uh, are very much aware of all of this. And when you teach your children and introduce them to those ideas about going green and about uh, and the way to look at a company, the way to measure a company and the reason to buy from a company, that's really important. I believe, and you and I've talked about this also, we are what we measure and we measure what matters. So I think what's happening right now 
is the world and business is, is realizing that they have to change some of their measurements because some of the things that matters to customers, now they're not measuring correctly. So we are on a journey to do that as well. And I'm involved in a group, uh, again, how to build a more caring economics. Uh, and I have a quote in the book from a woman named Dr. Rian Eisler, who has spent her life uh, writing books and as a social historian about how we need something in addition to GDP to start measuring the real wealth of a nation and of its people and of business. And I am proud to be part of that. I think it's also important for the conscious capitalism movement and more conscious capitalists are thinking about it. So we, we all are realizing that those KPIs, those key performance indicators that all of us in business think about need to evolve and change as well. Yeah, and, and you brought it back to kids and that's, that's kind of how I, I was hoping we could, we could just kind of start to wrap up here is because there's, there's another principle, uh, you know, proud of, again, being here in Rochester, New York, we're, we're here on, on Iroquois land from the Iroquois Confederacy, which actually uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the principles that, that Benjamin Franklin and, and some of the other founding fathers studied, they, they learned from the Iroquois Confederacy in terms of building our government. And one of the things that, unfortunately, they, they didn't bake into our, our constitution that I wish they, they, they might have was this principle that they call the seventh generation principle, where uh, these Native Americans, they, they made uh, decisions that were the best for their, their descendants seven generations down the line. Uh, and, and you know I think that's a piece that, that we've really lost. We, we get so caught up on, as you're mentioning, you know, whatever measurements they are, whether it's GDP and how the GDP has changed you know, th this year, or whether it's our quarterly numbers and our, and our stock price and, and all of those things. And, and we're so focused on the short term that we've really lost touch with, with the long term. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, even if it's a, if it's a little bit of, of, of a guilt trip, you know, trying to, I, I, I actually, my, my mom, um, you know, was, was reluctant when I started composting and I tried to encourage her to compost and, and, you know, she was like, oh, well, you know, it's this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, it's just, a, it's just a habit that needs to be changed. Right. But if you can kind of talk about, well, you know, it, do it for your kids or do it for your grandkids. You know, having people think at least about their kids or, or grandkids, maybe even seven generations down the line to say, what kinds of, what kinds of ways do we want to, to leave our planet for them? Um, and so that's another, another way that I think uh, this book can be so important is to really think about young people and, and what, kind of, what kind of both society and, and planet, uh, you know, we're leaving them, what kind of businesses we're leaving them. What kind of what kind of habits and in mindsets, hopefully more conscious mindsets that we're leaving them, and, and so I think you know you can start those habits from a young age because I remember learning about recycling when I was a, when I was a young kid, and and you know you you learn that early and then you never have a bad habit to break, and so you know really reading the ABCs of conscious capitalism for kids, I'm really excited about the possibilities for starting those habits, uh, you know, and, and building them early for young people. Thank you, Andrew Brady. You are awesome. Uh, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I encourage everyone to buy the book and share it with their children or their grandchildren or buy it as a gift for their nieces or nephews. Uh, and the conscious capitalism community, I will add, has been so supportive. And this is a group effort. Uh, I love 
the quote that you uh, just provided, uh, one of those great <clears throat> indigenous Native American quotes, because it has been something that I've always loved, that thinking about seven generations down. There's another African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We are all in this together. And our children are absolutely part of, and parcel of all of this. So may we all <laughs> uh, work together to create a more socially just and uh, sustainable planet that we can all live on and enjoy. <laughs> I love it. Yes, the, the kids are our stakeholders and they are our, our, our future leaders. And hopefully uh, this book can be a contribution to making sure that those future leaders are conscious leaders. So thank you, uh, Laura, so much for your time today. I so appreciate it. More importantly, thank you for this, this really needed resource for young people, because I haven't seen a whole lot out there in terms of, uh, you know, addressing these principles for young kids. Uh, I can't wait to see the kind of ripple effects that it'll have, hopefully for seven generations hence. And, uh, and thanks again for joining, joining us today. I'll make sure to link in the show notes so that people can buy the book and, uh, and hopefully they can, they can reach out to, to you as well. And maybe we can start sharing stories of, of all the great businesses that, that come about from, from reading your book. I look forward to it. Thank you, Andrew Brady. <laughs> Thanks, as always, to all the evolutionaries out there listening across more than 30 countries around the world. We hope that you found it to be both inspirational and full of actionable insights to guide you on your own evolutionary journey. We've grown this movement entirely by word of mouth, so if you know someone who might find value in listening to this episode, we'd be deeply grateful if you'd share it with them. And of course, make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening app so that you're notified as soon as we release new episodes each week. Together, we can evolve business toward a more conscious capitalism.